Hey, Bruce Rose, welcome to the Rehab Podcast. Thank you very much. Good to be here. Yeah, thank you for joining me. You work with Alcohol Recovery of Scotland. Uh, tell me a little bit about Alcohol Recovery. Alcohol Recovery Scotland, I started 18 months ago. My background was alcohol and drug rehab centre management, which I was in for a number of years. I worked with the homeless in Edinburgh as well. And just by accident, through searching through the internet, I came across Claudia Christian's YouTube video on the Sinclair Method. And long story short, I did a lot of research into it. And the more I looked at it, the success rates with the Sinclair Method compared to what we were getting in the rehab centers was night and day. And at that point, I then thought, well, listen, if it is as good as they say it is, I'm going to try just starting a few clients in Scotland here and see how it goes. And that was 18 months ago, and I'm still going. So it's been a good journey. Yeah, and that's what you just said is revolutionary because that that would never happen in most rehabs here in the U.S. And I'm sure you've seen the documentary One Little Pill produced by Claudia Christian. And when she goes into the rehab and talks to them about naltrexone and and the Sinclair method and and using naltrexone to treat alcoholism and the response that she gets of that's just something we don't do. I see that here all the time. It's almost like, you know, you bring it up and they're like, wow, that sounds like a great idea. And then it's just dropped and never mentioned again. Yeah. And and I I still can't get my head around it because I did exactly the same thing. The first thing I did was I I went back to the rehab centers where I worked and spoke to a few individuals in the, the center just to say, listen, this would work. And the only real negative I actually got was from the rehab centres who didn't really want to. I think a lot of their funding is tied up in the UK here. Most of the rehab centres are paid for by funding. So their funding is tied up to do a certain sort of work. And, and then to mix people who are abstinent alongside people who are on the Sinclair method just wasn't going to work either. You'd have to have a separate separate centre for that. Yeah. I mean, maybe in the future it will come. I think the idea of it scares people, the idea that uh, and, and we should say that the Sinclair method is a way of treating alcoholism where the person continues to drink a small amount of alcohol while taking medication to pharmacologically extinguish their craving for alcohol. I think just the idea of someone taking medication in a rehab and then also having a small drink, you know, just doesn't, probably doesn't work with the current rehab model. Yeah, when I, was, when I was managing the rehab centers, you just couldn't have anyone around because the guys were on an abstinence-based program, just... Anybody around them drinking, we just that was just a no-no. And for anyone who's on an abstinence-based program, which works very well for some people, it just you just can't mix the two. So my hope or my dream for the future here in the UK and in Scotland especially is to be able to open up a, a rehab centre. Not a, not a rehab centre, but when we're working with clients who are what we would classify as chronic drinkers, it's a little harder with the Sinclair method, as you know, you've got to take a medication with it. To try and get a chronic drinker to take that medication regularly is quite difficult. So yeah. I would like to open up some sort of centre here in Scotland to then bring the chronic drinkers in and just to give them that support until they're on their own two feet and then be able to work on their own. Again, the rehab centres, the challenge with the rehab centres is the cost. I don't know how they're funded in the States, but across here... They're funded via either government funding or private funding, and they're very, very expensive to run. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Rehab is always expensive, I think. You know, in some countries, I know in Switzerland and in Canada and some areas, they, they use medical heroin to treat heroin addiction or opioid addiction. And, you know, that's something that would, I don't think will ever happen in the U.S. I, I mean, they don't even allow for supervised consumption sites, and 
they barely have any um, clean needle and clean syringe uh, sites. You know, there's a couple of them. The entire state of Florida here, we have, we have one apparently in Miami. Uh, yeah. So they're, they're, they're really, um, it's hard to get some of these kind of revolutionary harm reduction things going and, and, and treatments. And it almost seems like that could work in a, in a rehab setting where alcohol would be, you know, medical alcohol, you know, like a, a very measured, precise amount of alcohol given in a very precise way to a patient after their medication. You know, the nurse comes in, gives an naltrexone, one hour later comes in and gives a very measured amount of, of a precise amount of alcohol and not to be enjoyed, but just to be taken as part of their medical treatment. It yeah. seems like, you know, just like, like how with medical heroin, apparently it works really well. They're able to taper people off and get them off and, and keep them, you know, uh, free of, of drugs after that. And, and not to compare that, but it, it, they're both medication-assisted treatments for addiction, mm-hmm. you know, for alcohol use disorder. It, it just seems like that it could be turned into a medical protocol in a rehab like that. I, I think the nice, what, we, what I'm starting to see here in the UK, and I, I think that America is normally at least two or three years ahead of us. What we're starting to see here is that the, the abstinence-based programs that have been running since AA started in the 30s or 40s, We've got groups, you, you probably got, you know, you have got them in the States, smart groups, Narcotic Anonymous, NA, you've got CA, uh, all the different peer, peer-led groups. They all come from a 12-step program that was started from AA years ago. They've worked well for the people that they've worked for over the years. But I think with the advancement of medicine and alternative processes, we're starting to notice now that, that there's lots of different models of recovery that are now starting to come forward. And I think... It's like everything. I think it will just take a period of time for that change to happen and for people to accept that, okay, there are different methods. I mean, heroin. I was speaking to a guy here in Glasgow in Scotland yesterday who does needle exchange. He provides a safe place for heroin users to to go onto a bus and to take heroin. It's just a safe place for them to go. And he was actually arrested last week for doing it. But it's now made the public thing, so people are talking about it, and it's now hopefully starting to become a bit more acceptable. And the Sinclair Method, again, here in Scotland, I'm the only person I believe that's doing it. I'm speaking to professionals and doctors, and they kind of look at me with, as if I've got two heads. But it's slowly starting to, and it will, it will take five, ten years for the whole process to change. But we're heading in the right direction, which is the good thing, I think. That doesn't mean that the abstinence programs will stop working, because for some people, that's the right process. Yeah, yeah. There's no no one size fits all. Yeah, uh, you know, no one size fits all treatment. So there there should be different things that work for different people. Really interestingly, with as far as AA or Alcoholics Anonymous, the main founder, um, Bill Wilson. There, there's a story in a in a book, uh, Overcoming Opioid Addiction by Dr. Adam Bazaga. But there's a really interesting story in the book about Bill Wilson meeting with Dr. Vincent Dole, who's the founder of Methadone Maintenance in New York City. And the story is that he said something to him like, you know, this is really great that you're able to medically treat opioid addiction and help give these guys a clear mind so they can think clearly and work their program. You know, if only we had something like that for alcohol, so alcoholics could have a clear mind and work their program. So the founder of AA was very much in favor of medication-assisted treatment and was looking for something like that for alcohol. I was speaking to someone the other day, actually in the States, who is on the Sinclair Method in the States, and I don't know the AA big book enough, but he, he opened up his book, and on his book it was page 31, I think, and the, the founders of AA had actually said that if at any time in the future that medicine finds a, a cure or 
a medical assistant treatment, then they would support it 100%. And that was way back in the, I guess, the 40s and the 50s. When I worked in the rehab centres, we used 12-step programmes and, and things like that. And there's a lot of habitual programmes that we can put people through, like 12 steps and things like that. And a, a lot of the stuff in there is actually very, very good. But what I've learned is that if you don't deal with the medical imbalance, simple way to describe it in the brain, then everything else is just a relapse waiting to happen. But once you get the, the imbalance under control with naltrexone, then the other side, the AA are very, very good at. CA, smart groups, they're fantastic at that side of things. But if you mix the two, you've probably got a really, really good solution. So I, I hope in time, both sides of things can start coming together. I, I think the danger with the Sinclair method is because it's so successful at the moment, is that people within the Sinclair method school then start to think that that's the only way and it's better than this and it's better than that. But I think the way forward is to try and learn off each other and pick up what's good for the Sinclair method, pick up what's good in AA and put our heads together and just just for the betterment of recovery. If, if we can find a better way of doing it, then that needs to be the goal rather than Sinclair method's better or AA's better or whatever's better. If it works for someone, I always say to people, if standing on your head and reciting the alphabet backwards works, I will support it till I'm blue in the face. <laughs> Someone once told me a story that they were at a, a meeting, I think a Narcotics Anonymous meeting, and some, a guy was sharing about how he said, every time I work the steps, I, I relapse. I, I go back out again and get high, and it just happens every single time, and I just don't know how to work the steps right. And all at once, together, pretty much everybody in the whole room said, stop working the steps. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, it's just not everybody's different. So, I mean, it's not, not for everybody. Um, yeah. Now, I'm sure you, you've seen that, um, and, and I've seen that the Sinclair method works. I mean, it definitely works, but I, I've been surprised to see how well it works, mm-hmm. especially for what they call, some people call them gray area drinkers, you know, people that they don't consider themselves to be alcoholics, and maybe they, they don't drink every day, and they're not blacking out for days at a time, but, but they find that they go on binges, you know, maybe a couple of times a week, and, and they just want to cut back or stop their drinking, and for people in that category, it really works unbelievably well. I mean, I've had like several cases recently where, you know, I call to check up on the patients and they're like, well, do I have to keep drinking? I really don't feel like drinking. I've done this twice or three times and I, I just don't feel like uh, drinking anymore. I'm like, well, no, if you don't want to drink, then don't drink. I, I've been absolutely blown away with the the response. The, re- the rehab center clients that we worked with were all very chronic drinkers and they were all in this country, we call it on benefit. If you're not working, the, the government will pay you benefit for just to support you through. So most of the clients that we had in the rehab centers were guys who were on benefits who had lost everything. They'd lost their homes. They'd lost everything. With the Sinclair Method, like you say, the majority of my clients are guys who are functioning. They've got very good jobs, company directors to dentists to medical people to all different walks and lives and backgrounds. And it's people who are... They can manage during the day, absolutely no problem. But when they come home at night time, like you said, they're not on the street corner, they're not homeless, they're not anything else. When I phone them up a lot of the times, they don't sound like they're under the influence of alcohol. They're having a glass of wine before the meal, they're having a glass of wine with the meal, and then finish the bottle off later on. And it's not huge amounts, but when they're doing that every single day, and they become dependent on the alcohol every day, they can't go a day without it. 
or like you say, they're having a Friday, Saturday, Sunday complete binge, and they can't they can't stop it. For those, yeah, it's working really, really well. The only challenge I do find with it is with the chronic drinkers. And again, it's it's worked very well for a couple of chronic drinkers I've had. But the challenge is trying to get them into a routine of taking the medication. If someone's drinking, sleeping, drinking, sleeping, the life's too chaotic to then say, okay, you need to take your medication at this time every day. Now, I will always try and get a, a chronic person back to a family member or something else if they haven't burnt all the bridges there, and then just so that the medication can be supervised, and then we'll slowly bring them off. I don't know how you do your detoxes in the States, but here we'll use Librium or Diazepam on a medical-based detox for seven days. And then at the end of that, like you were saying before with the nurses, we then started them on one can of beer or one bottle of beer. So you take the medication, wait an hour, and have one bottle of beer. But with that one, they have to be under quite close supervision for the first, I would say, three to four weeks because the old habits are still there where they just go blub, blub, blub. And if that can be monitored quite closely for a month or so, I find that we, we do have good success. If they're back in their own accommodation, living on their own, the habitual psychological things kick in. Before you know it, then they've stopped taking the medications. But that's where I would like to have a center where I could bring people in. For the first two months anyway, we can supervise the drinking and then pass them on to the online support and then carry the process on. But once life is less chaotic and more controlled, then they can carry the program on themselves. What do you think of meetings like, now we, you mentioned smart recovery and life ring. I've never been to one and I, and I don't know that I've had any patients give me feedback on the meetings. I've had feedback from people on AA and, and NA and, you know, there's good and bad feedback. Some people, like you said, some people do really well in those meetings and some people don't do well. And also I've heard some good feedback on Celebrate Recovery, which is a, a Christian group here. It's a church-based group. As far as smart recovery and life ring, I've, I've been recommending them to people and I, I know that smart recovery is based on cognitive behavioral therapy. And I think that I read that the something about the group leaders are trained by psychologists maybe in, in that kind of therapy, but I, I don't know much about it beyond that and, and how people go to meetings if they're online or probably more online than in person. But can you tell me a little bit about those kind of groups and what you might recommend for people? I think it boils down to the individual. Personally, myself, if I didn't have TSM or didn't know anything about TSM, I would personally go towards a smart meeting. Um, because, like you say, at CBT, they they tend to come from the school of thought where it's we want to look forward and say, okay, yes, we have a situation, we have a problem, but we need to look forward and find solutions of way to cope with with things as they come up. So they're they're much more CBT based, the more thought based, the more I suppose you could call it positive thinking focused on solution like here's the issue okay now let's find a solution let's sit in the solution and move forward whereas your AA bases they tend to for me they, they would tend to always go back and sort of say okay well I'm an alcoholic and this is the problem and that's the da 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 but again like you like you know yourself for, for some people that's the, the perfect environment for them um, like in this country we've got something called Road to Recovery which is the Christian version again they work very very well if People have an element of faith or are looking for a faith-based program. They work very well. I like smart recovery because it's more, I would say, it tends to be more positive, I would say. That's my own personal choice. But from clients that I speak to, the last rehab I was in, we made it part of the program 
that people had to go to every single uh, group that was there. So one night they would go to AA, the next night they would go to CA, then they'd go to NA, then they'd go to SMART. They would go to the Road to Recovery meeting. So they had four or five different meetings. And the reason for that was we weren't trying to channel them into saying this is the best one. Because they mustn't go to all five of them. And then when you're finished, whichever one you decide fits right with you, then then go with that. And I think that worked. It worked well because some people would come back and say, I've tried AA, I don't want to do it. Or I've tried SMART and I don't want to do it. But oh, they go to AA, oh, actually, yeah, I like that. Or I like the people or I like whatever it is. It works well for the, the people. I mean, I know people, I've got good friends who are sober for numbers of years through the peer support groups. What I have noticed with people on the peer support groups over the years is they don't tend to lose the craving. The, the craving is still there. And whether that's a psychosomatic thing or whether it's a physical, but the one thing I noticed with the Sinclair method and working with clients is that because we're reducing and reducing and reducing, and we're, we're taking control of the craving, they don't have the, what you and I would know as the white knuckle. I spoke to a client literally half an hour ago, and she's reduced from 200 units a week, uh, sorry, 150 units down to, she's about 40 units at the moment. And my first question is, how are you during the day? Are you craving? Are you struggling? Are you more anxious? And she said, no. She said, I've never felt like this in my life. She said, I don't even think about drink until six o'clock. And now, you know, as well, with people who have struggled with, in America, you'd call it alcohol use disorder. But with people that struggle to, to go the whole day without obsessive thinking of alcohol, it in itself is a massive, massive step. And it really does work. And I think that's what they call the alcohol deprivation effect, where a person comes off of the alcohol immediately and they stay sober. And then a few months down the road, they start having intense cravings for it again. Yeah. I actually first heard that term or read that term, you know, reading the, the books by Claudia Christian and the other books about the Sinclair method about the issue with the alcohol deprivation effect. But that, that is a, a major issue with all drug addiction is that a person gets clean and they, they feel great. And then somewhere down the road, it just hits them, you know, maybe three and six months out. Uh, they just have these intense cravings and, you know, they depend on the, the peer support to keep them, you know, from going back out again. And, but it's not easy. You know, it'd be a lot easier if they didn't have that. And that's the main thing. And like yourself, I, I work quite closely with Claudia now. She's done an amazing job just all around the world with what she's doing. But the, the number one thing that I've learned from managing in the rehab centers and working, working in abstinence-based programs and then seeing the Sinclair method is, I think the only way I can describe it is the peace that people have when they're reducing. Last time I spoke to Claudia, she said, Claudia has reduced right the way down and she doesn't drink at all now. And she said she had done that before on an abstinence-based program, but every single day she had obsessive thoughts about drinking and constantly thought about it. But now that she's worked herself right the way down to what we would call pharmacological extinction, she chooses not to drink anymore, but there's no anxiety, there's no craving, there's no stress. It's broken down the neurological pathways through that process, which is another explanation. So she can go day to day to day and not be stressed or white knuckle anything. She knows if next week a life circumstance happened or she had a really bad situation happen in life and she felt, I need to have a drink, uh, she could take the pill and have a drink. So she hasn't got that, I can't drink, I can't drink, I can't drink, sort of anxiety. So there's a real, I notice with the clients that I work with, the peace that they have once they get down to the lower levels compared to guys that I worked with before who are 
constantly on the edge because one drink would then end up in two drinks and then would end up in a full relapse, which could be days, months, years. With the Sinclair method, you don't have that stress. And it sounds like a little thing, but in an individual's life, it's massive. Yeah, yeah it makes all the difference to, to not have to fight cravings all the time. Yeah. Um, one thing I, you know, one issue with the Sinclair method is, you know, when people talk about it being a, a cure, and, and I know that in, in the medical field, when someone is disease-free for a certain period of time, you know, like when someone has cancer and they treat it and they don't have cancer for five years, you know, they'll call it a cure, even though it could come back after five years, you know, if they're alive and, and no cancers come back, they're, they're cured, uh, according to the, by definition but they still have to be watched and going for checkups. When someone hears that the Sinclair method is a cure for alcoholism, that, that means that if they, they'll come off the alcohol at some point, you know, whether it's within a few days or weeks or even months, at some point they can be alcohol free. But I, I think it, you know, people have to keep in mind that if they, you know, they're not cured and, you know, I know in AA, I think it's AA, they have a saying where, you know, once you've, once you're a pickle, you can never go back to being a cucumber again. You know, you can't, you can never really be totally, you know, I think people should keep in mind they can't do the Sinclair method and then months or years down the road just go back to their old habits and just drink freely and, and think that it's not going to affect them. You know, I think Absolutely. that it could probably wake, wake up their addiction and bring things back again very quickly. And it does. And I've got clients that that's happened to. I'm working with a client at the moment who he'd gone from 200 units down to about 20 units and he had maintained that for about three or four months no stress, no anxiety, no craving during the day, absolutely fine. And then his old habitual self kicked in and he thought, you know, I want to have just three or four days without my medication and just have a blowout. So he did. And within three or four days, just like a normal relapse, he was back at the level that he was previous to that. So when I get clients who climb right the way down to what we'd call extinction levels, then I actually have started to realize that there are very there are three very specific stages with the Sinclair method. And the third stage is when they get down to the extinction. And at that stage, the only bit of advice I give people at that stage is never, ever, 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 ever have a drink without your pill. I don't care what your brain's telling you. I don't care what's happening. I don't care who tells you what. You're not cured. It will come back. I always say to people, it's a lifetime medication. It's just like, I always explain, I've got epilepsy. So I have too much electricity. There's, there's an imbalance in my brain where there's too much electricity running around in my brain. Your body's only way to get rid of that is to have a seizure. So it's exactly the same with alcohol use disorder or addiction. All the naltrexone is doing is controlling it. It's keeping it under control. So it's a lifetime medication. It is something that they need to take. On the days they don't drink, they don't need to take the medication. But if they do drink, they need to take the medication because it will reverse very quickly. And I think people should keep in mind, you know, if they do get that idea that they're just going to go out for a few days and enjoy their alcohol and without the medication and, you know, they think, well, you know, I'll just come back and get started again. There, yeah. There's no guarantee that you're going to make it back in three days or, or even years. I mean, once things get, you know, once addiction gets a hold of you, it doesn't let go until it's ready to let go, until you're ready to, to give it up. I mean, it, it, so it could lead to like a pretty tragic outcome when, person, when a person tries to do that. The biggest danger with the rehab work we did was relapse. When guys had been in, in the rehab centers for a while and had been sober for a while, the most dangerous part is when they leave and if they relapse because they've, they've gone a month, two months, six months without the substance, 
they relapse, they go back to taking the amount that they did before they went into the, the rehab center. And unfortunately, that's where we'll see a lot of deaths, a lot of overdoses. So that's probably a more dangerous situation. So I emphasize and stress to people, don't play Russian roulette with your medication. It's not worth it. And I always get people initially, again, I spoke to a girl, the girl I spoke to earlier on, and I said, she's starting to feel really good. She said, I just I can't remember what it was like. I said, you need to write down what it was like before you came on the program. You need to write down some of the things that was happening in your life, relationships, before you came onto the program and read it regularly so that you remember. What's the best way to get in touch with you? The website, and it's www.alcoholrecoveryscotland, or one word, alcoholrecoverycoveryscotland.co.uk.